Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. I'm excited to jump into the Word of God. I got so many uh, testimonies that came from this uh, previous series we just wrapped up entitled White Noise. How many of you enjoyed White Noise? Did you guys enjoy the series? Uh, got some testimonies um, this week, people that uh, got healed, some, some trauma in their lives. We One testimony of anxiety being healed, and they were able to sleep uh, through the night uh, without medication. How many know God cares about our sleep? Uh, Well, two of you. All right, wonderful. Um, I'm excited today because we're kicking off a brand new series entitled Table Talk. Everybody say Table Talk. Um, This series, the idea of the series is that uh, we're going to sit down over the next three weeks um, and have a conversation about a Bible character that most of us grew up learning about, singing about. Uh, How many of you remember Abraham? Anybody remember the father of our faith, right? And so Table Talk is going to be kind of a sit-down conversation about the life of Abraham uh, to talk to you about relationships because relationships, nothing uh, brings us joy and sorrow, stress and satisfaction like relationships. Um, When we talk about relationships, how many know if our relationships are good, most of the time our life's good? right? If they're healthy and we're getting along and we got peace and harmony in those uh, relationships, our life is good. But when our relationships are not good, how many know it has a way of pulling us down? And so I fully believe that if I can help you improve your relationships, I can help you improve your entire life. How many would say, I'll sign up for that, right? I will sign up for that. So I'm excited about the series um, and all that God is going to do. If I could put a, a, a subtitle on it, it would simply be a conversation about Abraham. But I want to call this first message, this first installment of the series, How to Ruin a Relationship in four easy steps. Y'all like that title, don't you? Uh, How to ruin a relationship in four easy steps. And I want you to know right out the the gate that this is not a marriage sermon today, all right? We're gonna talk about marriage in the series, but this is not just a marriage sermon. I want you to apply this message through the lens of all of your relationships. And I think it's important because anytime we look back over our lives and we see in our lives broken relationships, whether it be a marriage, a a friendship, uh, a co-worker, whatever it may be, I believe that you would conclude, yes, it may have been broken, but you did not intend for that relationship to end up broken. None of us plan for relationships to fail. We don't sign up for a friendship or for a marriage or to bring children into the world with the idea that we're going to mess this up, that it's going to be broken, that, it, that, that it's going to involve pain. None of us do that. And so we got to ask, why did it happen? Why does it happen? Proverbs chapter 27 verse 12 says this. It says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions, okay? A wise person foresees danger and takes precautions. 
the simpleton or the unwise goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. No one ever goes on a date into a marriage or has kids intending for it to fail. What happens is that we blindly slip into dysfunction. And the only way to avoid that slip is to see with a new set of eyes. And that's what this series is meant to do. It's meant to help you see differently. Um, and we're going to do it through the Bible character we all know as Abraham. Because there's not many more people who were more instrumental in God's plan than Abraham and his wife Sarah. They were two that God chose to establish the Jewish race. And Abraham is called the father of the faith because of his unflinching confidence in God. And the irony is, is that as faith-filled as Abraham was, he was one of the most relationally dysfunctional people in all of Scripture, which tells me that I can be spiritually passionate and relationally dysfunctional. How many of you want to avoid that, right? I, I want to avoid that. I don't want to have spiritual passion, but be relationally dysfunctional. But that was the case for Abraham. Uh, I believe that if he wrote a book, he would call it How to Ruin a Relationship. So many uh, examples in Scripture of mistakes that he made. Um, let me ask you all real quick before I get into the book of Genesis. How many of you have ever heard of the name Glenn Scotty Wolf? Does that name ring a bell for anybody? Glenn Scotty Wolf. Anyone? No one. I feel like Bueller, Bueller. Come on. No one. At all. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. Like, I'm given my age. Um, well, anyway, Glenn Scotty Wolf, he holds the Guinness World Record as being the man who was married the most times. He was married an astounding 31 times. And y'all thought the lady at the well was messed up, right? His shortest marriage was 19 days. His longest marriage was seven years. Five of the marriages ended because of death. The rest of them were divorce. And Wolf was proud of this record. He was proud of the fact that he had been married 31 times. So proud that he appeared on television shows. Uh, he, may, he had interviews talking about all these different marriages that he had. 31 wives, 19 children, 40 grandchildren, 19 great-grandchildren. And here's the real kicker. When he died in 1997, no one stepped forward to claim his body. I'll give you one crack at what his profession was. A Baptist preacher. Now, 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 yeah, I got your attention, right? I got your attention. Now, now check this out. When we hear something like that, when, when I hear something like that, my, what pops into my mind is, did Scotty not have any friends? I mean, did he not have anyone in his life that could say, hey, Scotty, you got a lot of great qualities, but relationships is not one of them. Like you, if anybody shouldn't be married, how many would agree Scotty shouldn't be married? 
Uh, if you've been married 31 times, that's a good indicator that you should not be married. And what I think is funny is that it's real easy for us to see how others are destroying their relationships. The challenge is seeing how we are damaging our own relationships. And that is the reason most of the time, despite wanting a friendship or a romance to succeed, we let damaging attitudes and actions oftentimes go unaddressed. And it's so crazy to see in the story of Abraham and Sarah, their story begins in Genesis chapter number 12. And it begins with this call of God on their life to leave their homeland, to go to a new area so that God can start a brand new people, one that will display for the world what it looks like to follow God. And although they're in love and they're excited about this call of God on them, they, uh, they hit some turbulence in this relationship. And if you look with me in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse number 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because of the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now, I just want to stop right here and give Abraham some love right here. I mean, he's telling his woman, you are beautiful. Fellas, it's important to tell your woman that she's beautiful. And all the ladies said, amen. amen. They want to hear that. You need to say that. But it gets a little weird here in verse 12. It says, when the Egyptians see you, this is Abraham talking to Sarah, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, say to the Egyptians, you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Now, I just got to ask, what kind of real housewives of Egypt is this? One minute, you're my wife and you are beautiful. And the next moment, tell them you're my sister. And you got to ask, what, what would cause a husband? What, what would cause a man of God, the father of the faith, to say, let's tell them you're my sister and, and the answer to the question is, is that Abraham's priority was all about himself. It was all about saving himself. It was not in protecting her. It was about saving himself. And so the first step to ruin any relationship, number one, is to ignore selfishness. To ignore selfishness. I hope you heard that because every person in here just thought when I said the first step to ruin any relationship is to ignore selfishness. There are multiple people in this room that thought immediately, I am so glad they are here to hear this. <laughs> I am so thankful they're going to hear this message because they are so selfish. They are so self-involved. That's usually where our mind goes. And the reason is because selfishness is something we often see in others, but rarely see in ourselves. 
I've never had anybody come to an altar. I've been preaching for 24 years almost, and I've never had anyone come to the altar and say, Pastor, pray for me. I am selfish. You know why? Because selfish people don't know that they're selfish. And selfishness has a way of disguising itself. Now, there are cases when it's overt through dominance or abuse, but 99% of the time, selfishness is covert, which means it disguises itself. And here's the real kicker. A lot of times, the people who are calling everybody else selfish, they are the selfish one. Because we have a hard time seeing selfishness within ourselves. And so let me just give you a little test this morning to see if maybe you've slipped in to selfishness. You guys okay if I give you a little test to see if you're selfish? Uh, here, here we go. Um, the first thing is, I'll give you four, four ways to, to test selfishness in your own heart. The first one is this. Serving someone else is just a means to getting something for yourself. If you serve people, and it's not about it benefiting them, but it's more about how it's going to benefit you later, that is an indicator that selfishness has creeped into your heart. This is the husband who cleans up the entire house, not because he loves his wife and he cares that the house is dirty, but he cleans it up because later that night he's going to come knocking. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Do I have to? I got to keep it PG, right? But he, he does the act of service because later he's going to want something in return. It's the wife who gives affection before she discloses how much money she spent at the mall. It's, it's when we begin to serve, and it's not about serving the person. It's about how this might benefit me later. That's an indicator selfishness has slipped into your heart. The second way is you hold a dis, disproportionate amount of control in the relationship. One of you holds the majority of the say, meaning peace is only possible if, if you make decisions and if you get to make the decisions and you're in charge, meaning peace is only possible when you're happy. And the truth is, if you ain't happy, nobody in that house is happy. That's, a, that's an indicator of a selfish heart. The third test would be you avoid a disproportionate amount of blame. In our culture, we call it gaslighting. And, and what, this, what this is, is you, you, you tell everybody, they are the problem, you are the perfect one. That all your problems could be summed up in the people around you. They're the problem, you're perfect. Gaslighting, it's, it's a disproportionate amount of blame. And the final test, and only you can answer this, is I call it the test of first thought. The test of first thought. When an opportunity comes up in your life, is, is my first thought how this will affect me? Or is my first thought how is this going to affect the person I care about? And if you answer that, only you know what your first thought is, but if you answered that, I usually think about how it's going to impact me, not us. That's a good indicator that selfishness has slipped into 
that relationship. And again, this is not just marriage. This can slip in into your relationship with your kids, in a friendship, with your family members, and yes, even with your spouse. So if any of these describe you, then you need to know that your relationships are in danger. Not only do we see selfishness, we, we, we don't often see selfishness in our own lives. We also uh, don't understand how deadly it can be. This is what James chapter 4 says, starting in verse 1. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. James' point is, is that being self-centered will kill all relational dynamics. That selfishness is a killer to relationships. Because a relationship is something to be shared by two people. And, and what makes selfishness so de deadly is that it takes something that is supposed to be shared by two people and now it's only serving one person. Selfishness will strangle the life out of any relationship. That's why Jesus spoke so boldly about, about it like this. This is what he said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. I want you to notice that Jesus did not say that we are to negotiate with our selfish nature or to counsel with our selfish nature. He said we are to deny our selfish nature, to execute our selfish nature because Jesus knows that we will either kill selfishness or selfishness will kill us. And this is so important to understand because a lot of relationships are not working and it's because it's about me, not us. It's about what I want, what I need. My needs are not getting met. I'm not happy. I need this. You hear how many eyes are in that? I is supposed to be on the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. He did not say we negotiate with it. He said we are to execute it. We are to kill it. And if you have a friendship and you see selfishness involved in that friendship, that might be a good sign for you to put up a boundary there. Because if you continue to go down a path with a selfish individual, the end of that path is always destruction. If you see selfishness in the marriage, it's time to get on the cross. It's time to have a come to Jesus. It's time to sit down and say, hey, I'm sorry I've been selfish. I'm sorry I've made it all about me. Help me. Help me pray for me. Help me to put myself on the cross because it's not about me. It's about us. It's about us. That's how relationships are supposed to work. The thing I love about Scripture is that it not only gives us the directive to put selfishness to death, but it also tells us how to do it. I mean, the Scripture is very clear. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And when we look at the cross, when we look at crucifixion, it was a very specific type of capital punishment where one was fixed in a position which meant that certain things were now restricted. They, they couldn't do certain things. Do you know what you cannot do on the cross? You cannot serve yourself on the cross. 
Your hands were positioned outward toward others. Do you know what else you cannot do on a cross? Focus on yourself. The rotation of your head was restricted, meaning you were forced to look outward. Which may explain why Jesus, while on the cross, he was preoccupied not with his own pain and suffering. He was preoccupied with ensuring that his mother was safe, John was encouraged, the soldiers were forgiven, and the thief was saved. Notice none of that had anything to do with him. Because when you're on the cross, it's not about you, it's about the people around you. Husbands, if you'll, if you'll die to self, you can meet the needs of your wife. Wives, if you'll die to self, you can meet the needs of your husband. But the relationship will not work if one of you get off the cross and make it about you. Both of you are supposed to be crucified with Christ. You don't live any longer, but the Christ in you. Come on, give him a praise if you're going to. I know this is hard. I'm preaching to me. Because the truth is, we all come into the world born into sin, shaped in iniquity, which means we all come in selfish. We all do. I've been pastoring a long time. I've been preaching a long time. And guess what? There are days I am selfish. Some of you are like, not me. <laughs> you the one I'm after. We often see selfishness in the lives of other people, but we don't see it in ourselves. Imagine how much your marriage would improve if you walked into every conversation on a cross. Imagine how that friendship could turn around if you walked into the next conversation on a cross. Imagine how your workplace might change if you walked in and instead of saying, what can all these people do for me to make my life better? What if you walked in and put yourself on a cross and you came in daily to see how you could encourage the people around you? The first step to ruin any relationship is to ignore selfishness. Number two, Second step to ruin any relationship is to have no plan for stress. To have no plan for stress. See, along with his call, God also gave Abraham a promise that he and Sarah would have a son. The problem is, is they, they got a promise, but they're both old. I'm talking north of 90 old. I'm talking... You're in the nursing home and the Holy Spirit shows up and says, I want you to prepare because you're about to bring a baby into the world. How many know? At that point, your stress level just went up. Right? You are now stressed out. You're telling us we're going to have a son, we're going to birth a nation, and the clock keeps ticking. People are snickering, and the pressure is mounting. And it's a reminder that every relationship will endure seasons of stress. And unfortunately, we tend to be at our worst when we're under pressure. I, I would love to tell you that every time I'm under pressure, that Jesus comes out. Sometimes when I'm under pressure... Old Chad comes out. If it's financial pressure, you can watch couples who love Jesus and they're under financial pressure and instead of good things coming out, they, they make more bad financial decisions. They get under a little bit of pressure 
And, and because of the pressure and, and the problems, instead of just dealing with the, the problems, they begin insulting one another. And now, even if you get through the storm, you're left with a bunch of, of damage because while you were in the pressure cooker, you said things that you can't take back. If we don't have a plan for stressful times, then we are planning to fail during stressful times. We have to have a plan before the pressure is turned up so that we don't do things or say things or create more problems than we had to begin with. But when we look at this story of Abraham and Sarah, she's had enough of the pressure. The pressure has gotten to Sarah. And here's what it says in Genesis 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Clock, tick, 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 tick. We're already old. Tick, 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 tick. People think we're crazy. Tick, 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 tick. Pressure is mounting. Here's what it says. She had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Fellas, let me be a friend. Can I be your friend for just a minute? I don't care how passionately your wife suggests you do that. The line that gets me, it's not so much that the pressure got to Sarah... And she just said, just go sleep with Hagar. Like that don't, like I can almost understand it. What, what I have trouble understanding is Abraham agreed to it. And, and as your friend, I just want you to know that no matter how passionate she said that to you, it's a trap. <laughs> Come on, hit somebody and say, it's a trap. That, 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 that's a trap. She don't mean that. Listen to me. Do you know how many verses later it took for Abraham to discover this was a trap? One verse. The very next verse tells us that he followed through, he went in, he slept with Hagar, Hagar got pregnant, and the Bible says Sarah despised or hated them both. How I many now we got some real trouble? You talk about trouble in paradise. You talk about chaos in the home. He followed through with what she said, and now she hates them both. Because handling stress poorly always produces a worse situation. The question is not, will your relationships endure stress? They're going to. The question is, will you be prepared for stress that comes against your relationships? Whether it be job stress, financial stress, schedule, Stress, parenting stress. If you do not have a plan, you will end up reacting under pressure instead of responding under pressure. And there's a big difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is 100% emotional. You feel it and you vomit it. Right? That's reacting. Responding is we had a plan before we ever got into stress that when we're stressed, here's how we're going to respond. 
And I believe that as the people of God, we should make it a goal that instead of reacting under stress, that we learn how to respond under stress in a way that honors God and values the relationship. If you believe that, give Jesus a clap right there. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Listen, they, 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 didn't, they didn't shout me down at 9 o'clock either. It very, you can hear a pin drop in this place. But I believe you're going to leave with a little help, right? You're going to leave with a little help. Um, there was a business leader who, who once said, he said this, you must quit doing stupid things to make room for smart things. The person who can't quit can't change. I love that because some of us, our relationships would get better immediately if we just stopped doing stupid things so that we have time to do smart things. So many people struggle and continue to struggle because they don't stop doing the stupid things. So it's not something complex when I say you need a plan for stress. There's just some things you need to talk uh, with this person. You're in a relationship. If it's a spouse, if it's a child, if it's a friend, you need some ground rules for how you're going to handle stress. Here's a, here's a couple of examples I, I want to give you. When stress is increasing, resist insulting one another. Why don't you just start there? Okay, if we're under stress, our rule is we're not going to insult each other through this. Because if we insult each other, what was a temporary problem now becomes a permanent one because we said things we can't take back. So we have a ground rule that we're not going to insult one another while we navigate the stressful season. Uh, Here's another example. Refuse to tackle the problem when you're tired. Listen, one of the worst things you can do is work a 10-hour shift, cook dinner, clean the house, do the nighttime routine with the kids, get all the kids tucked in after they wake up one or two times, put them back to bed, and about midnight say, okay, let's sit down and talk. Listen, sleep might just save your marriage right there. You need to have the conversation when both of you are at your best, not your worst. Decide on the front front end of things that pressure will not pull us apart but pressure will always push us together the enemy loves to divide and conquer he loves to separate people the relationship is powerful when you're united but it becomes toxic when the enemy separates you so you got to decide when stress comes we're in it together we're going to handle this together the bible says that you and your spouse You were two, but how many know God made the two and and made you one? He made you one. That means that he puts 50% of everything your marriage needs in each of you. When you handle problems alone, you are only using half the wisdom, half the insight, half the gifting that God intended for you to have. But when both of you work together, you got all 100% of everything you need, wisdom, insight, everything God needs you to do, you have it together moving in the same direction. The two become one. As hard as it is to believe, there was life after Hagar for Abraham and Sarah. The drama of him sleeping with her, her becoming pregnant, and Sarah hating them both, this drama subsided. And they waited for God's promise. Uh, They continued to wait for it. And the Bible says that while they're waiting on this promise, that Abraham's wealth and influence grew to the point that he needed to relocate. 
So God is blessing him. He's thrown himself into his career, into what, what he's doing with his hands. And he, he moves into this area uh, that is ruled by a king by the, by the name of Abimelech was the king's name. And Abraham is so preoccupied that he doesn't protect Sarah and the king selects Sarah to be his bride, okay? How many know, you don't need a soap opera when you got the Bible, right? I mean, this is crazy, the people that God used. Um, and so the king selects Sarah as his wife, which leads me to point number three in how to ruin a relationship is to settle in your effort. To settle. Abraham had settled. He was distracted. The relationship was on cruise control. It is what it is. We'll talk, but we'll only talk about the bare minimum. I'm distracted with my work. I'm distracted with what I've got to do. And I, I just want to go ahead and tell you, a lot of times when people come to me and say, hey, pray for us, pray, you know, help us, counsel us, A, B, and C, that a lot of times complacency in a marriage is a bigger threat than conflict. That when you, when you push pause on it and it's in cruise control and there's no effort anymore, there's no dating anymore, there's no real conversations anymore, you just get through each day, you just learn to exist with one another. And that's what happened to Abraham. He threw himself in to his work and he stopped putting effort into his relationship with Sarah. And in our culture, that would be date nights stop. Conversations become about the bare minimum. We're distracted with work. We're distracted with binge watching Netflix. We're distracted with all these things. And we're putting zero effort into the relationship. And here's what happens. The king selects Sarah as his bride. And in Genesis 20 verse 3, it says, But God came to King Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. I love this because when Abraham didn't act, God did. Abraham didn't handle his business, so God had to step in and handle it for Abraham to give him a wake-up call before he lost the most valuable thing in his life, which was his wife. More than all the wealth he had, more than all, all the territories he had conquered, the most valuable thing Abraham had was Sarah. He just didn't recognize it. I love this story because what we see in this story is the mercy of God. How many believe that? That's mercy that God stepped in. Because this was a wake-up call to such a degree that, let me, let me phrase it like this, mercy is realizing how valuable something is before you lose it. How many people have sat in my office or across from me at a table and say, I wish I had gotten my wake-up call earlier. I wish I could go back. They have their wake-up call after communication is cut off with their children, after their divorce papers have been sent, after the relationship crumbles. And now they have a wake-up call. Mercy, mercy is seeing the value of something before you lose it. I want to encourage you in your relationships to see the value on the front side. Don't wait until it's destroyed to begin seeing the value of it. That is the mercy of God. 
preventing us from making mistakes and living, watch this, living with regret. I preached a series many years ago called The Death of Regret. No one wants to wind up at the end of their life and look back over it full of regret. I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. I wish I'd have been a better husband, a better wife, a better mom. I say all that to say, Mom, wake up to the fact those kids are going to be gone in a few years. Don't, don't wait to see their value after they're gone. Sir, wake up to the fact that your office can replace you, but your, your family cannot. Student, wake up to the fact that your parents are not lame. But they are God's greatest gift to you. We've got to wake up to the fact that people are more valuable than scrolling. That friendship is more important than binge watching the latest series. That relationships are valuable. I, I attended a funeral yesterday of a man of God who's a legend in the state of West Virginia, Dr. Ray Hurt. And he pastors in Princeton, West Virginia. Incredible church, life-giving church there. G gave his life to that community. And 75 years old, he passed away. And they were talking about some of his accomplishments at this funeral yesterday. And I forget how many sermons he had preached and... He had seen 10,000 and some people come into a relationship with Christ under his ministry. Had seen God use him in powerful ways. But the thing that stood out to me is, though he's touched literally thousands of people, thousands of people, thousands of people did not come to his funeral. You know who was there? Three rows. Now, there was hundreds of people there, but I'm saying the three rows that stood out to me were those three rows that were all family. Do you know who's not going to show up probably at your funeral is all the people out there that you're not connected to, all the people that you're just acquainted to. You know who's going to be there when you pass away? The people that live with you, the people that love you the most. Where should our time be spent? What should we value the most? Y'all getting anything out of it? Number four, number four. Step four to ruin any relationship. We skip seeking God's help. Karen and I, we, we have always had a prayer life. We're just doing something different this year. We're spending our mornings together before the craziness. So we're getting up early and we're spending time in God's presence together and time in God's word. Because how many know more now than ever before, well, you need the presence of God. You need to know that he's with you. You need to know that he's, he's with you, he's for you, that he wants to do great things in your life. He wants to do great things in, in your marriage, in your relationships. So worship team comes. I, I, I do want to say real quick, I feel bad, a little bit bad, bringing you a series that focuses only on Abraham's mistakes. I feel like when I get to heaven, he's going to be like, bro, what did I do to you? So I do feel a little bit bad about it. But as you study the life of Abraham, he, yes, he, he, he found the promised land. He, he's the father of the faith. There's so many big God moments in his life. But if you, you trace those God moments and you trace those mistakes, what you'll find out if you do a study on his life, you'll find out 
that every time he made the right step, you'll find a trace of prayer. And every time he made a misstep or made a mistake, you won't find prayer there. All through his life, you can see how prayer helped him make good decisions and the lack of prayer, he continued to make bad decisions. And I'll say it like this, every problem we have is born from prayerlessness. Many of our marriages are anemic because our prayer lives are anemic. Many of our relationships are empty because our prayer lives are empty. Listen to me, this is so elementary, but you can't give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. So many people are expecting great things in their marriage, in their home, in their, with their kids, in all these different relationships. They want great things, but their prayer life's not great. Their walk with God is not great. Listen, a great marriage, raising great kids and having great relationships, that don't happen by accident. That happens because you made a decision to be intentional and to invite God in every step of the way. Without God, I'm a horrible husband. I'm a terrible dad without his presence. Without God, it's impossible to have life-giving, healthy relationships all around you. I think sometimes we, we treat prayer the same way we treat a flat tire or a spare tire. How many's ever had a flat tire and you had to pull off and, and change? Anybody ever had that, that, that happen to you? How many of you understand that we don't ever think about that spare tire ever? unless we have a flat. I mean, we really don't even, like you don't go to the car lot to buy a new car and they show you all the bells and whistles and they're showing you everything Bluetooth and this awesome engine and you, you, you're like, man, this car is awesome. And you, then you're like, tell me about the spare tire. You know why? Because you don't care about the spare tire. The only time you're going to care about the spare tire is if you have a flat. And I think a lot of people treat prayer the same way. It's as a last resort. We, we don't even think about praying until we're in a mess. Now we want God. Now we want Him to show up. Now we open up the trunk looking for it. We want the, our world to be falling apart before we ask God to show up and give us wisdom on the front. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is inviting God on the front side. So you don't have to endure so much chaos and dysfunction. Pastor, do you believe that God delivers, that God sets free, that God can do a miracle, that God can restore? Yes, God can do all that, but I also believe He can give you the wisdom you need so you don't make the mistakes that put you in that situation where you need a miracle. I believe that. Want to know the guaranteed way to ruin a relationship? Make it godless. Make it godless. What you want, what you need, what makes you happy, God's nowhere in it. Make it godless, I promise you, it'll destroy the relationship. You want a guaranteed way to have an awesome, life-giving relationship, make it God-powered. Invite the presence of God into it. Um, 
if you don't believe me, you, then you need to listen to this great theologian and philosopher. One of the greatest of our day. His name is Justin Bieber. Here's what Justin Bieber said. He said, I just think that as Christians, as believers, that we understand if you don't have God's spirit working in your marriage, it just makes it more and more difficult to make it work and to have peace and to find happiness. Say, so why are you quoting Justin Bieber? Because there's a lot of wisdom in what he said. And here's what I know about Justin Bieber. He's got more money than I got. He's got more fame than I got. He got more talent than I got, more influence than I got. Yet he came to a reality that this don't work at all without God's spirit. That it just doesn't work. No matter how hard I work, it does not work without the Holy Ghost being involved in my relationships. God designed relationships so that we would need Him. When He's included, our relationships thrive. When He's excluded, our relationships struggle. So as you stand this morning to your feet, I got a challenge for you. Regardless of the relationship, it could be one with a kid, a spouse, a sister, a brother, a mom, a dad, a cousin, a coworker. Apply these, these principles to the relationship. I don't care what the relationship is. Just apply the principles to that relationship. And here's the challenge. I want you to take, starting today, all the way through week three. We're doing a three-week series on, on this topic. So that would be February 18th. Starting today, the next 21 days, that you take time to pray for those valuable relationships. Now, if you've got a struggling relationship, how I many I shouldn't have to tell you to pray over that. That should be a given. But I want you to pray over your spouse. I want you to pray for them. If you've got four hours to roll in the floor praying for them, then use the four hours to roll in the floor, if that's what it takes. If you've got seven minutes before your kids are out the door because you, you've got a busy day, use the seven minutes. Listen to me, God will honor it. For 21 days, you take time to pray over those relationships and invite the Holy Spirit to get involved. If God can create the entire universe as we know it in seven days, what could he do in 21 days if you invited him in to those relationships? What could he do? You can come, Jane. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. I'm gonna to speak to two groups of people this morning. I'm gonna speak first of all, I know this is a message about relationships, but you guys know it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's got to be primary. That it's hard to make earthly relationships work when our relationship with our Heavenly Father is not working. The cross is both vertical and horizontal. Vertical meaning that we, we gotta be right vertically with Him before we can ever be right horizontally with others. So if you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I know I'm not right, but I want to make it right. I want to repent. I want to turn from my life. I want to turn from my way of doing things. I want to turn to Jesus with my whole heart, and I want to be fully surrendered to Him. If that's you, I'm not going to prolong it. If it's you, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I want to make things right with God. Thank you for that hand back there. God bless you. Come on, anyone else? One here, I see that hand, God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Say, that's me. Anyone else? Don't wanna to go too fast. Just raise that hand if that's you. 
praise God for it. I want us to pray out loud and then we're gonna do a second, second conversation with you. I want you to pray out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I believe that you came, you died in my place and for my sins. But on the third day, you rose again. Today, I repent for my sins and I turn to you and I surrender my entire life to your Lordship. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give Jesus a praise right there? So good. I'm gonna ask that the prayer team go ahead and get in place, but I wanna be very specific as the worship team gets in place as well. We're gonna begin singing in just a minute. We're gonna turn this auditorium into a place of prayer. But I wanna speak to people that are here and you, you would say, Pastor, I, I've got relationship struggles. This word spoke to me. I see what areas I need to work on. I see what areas that God needs to heal, that I need to invite God's presence in. I'm not gonna embarrass anyone, but if you feel like this message spoke to you and your relationships, would you just wave at me real quick? You feel like it ministered to you? There's hands all over the building. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to turn this time into a time of prayer. Listen, you can worship and pray some from your seat, but some of you, listen to me, you need to take a step today. You, you need to take an actual step. If you're serious about that relationship, not remaining in a cycle of dysfunction, but you say, you know what? I am ready for a change. I am ready to see God move in this relationship. I want it to be everything God intended for it to be. I want you to know these altars are open and I want to encourage you to take advantage of this time. It's amazing what God will do when we step out in faith and say, God, we've tried it our way long enough. We're ready to do it your way. Watch how God and the Holy Spirit will meet you in this altar this morning to do a great thing. As the worship team begins singing, can you give Jesus a praise? Come on, give him a praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.